Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Svarim Chatter Podcast. This episode of the podcast is going to be something a little different than usual. We'll try something a little new. Um, in the past, I've had episodes a while back where I've discussed some new Svarim, and I would give uh, some opinions on them, little snippets of, of, of information. Um, for this episode, I'm going to be discussing, there's a, a on, well, depending when you're listening to this, there's going to be an auction from Gnazim Auction House on July 28th. And they approached me with uh, an idea about a podcast, and I thought it was a good idea. And they are generously sponsoring this episode. And we'll be discussing here some that it's a fascinating, fascinating auction with really beautiful, outstanding items. I mean, just the catalog alone, even though most of the prices are there, it's, it's, you know, top of the line stuff. So the prices are, are high on some of the stuff, and we'll talk about it. Um, just, just owning the catalog and checking out the catalog is really amazing. So even if you're listening to this after the auction happened, you can still get a hold of the catalog. I'm going to include their email. Um, it's, it's first of all, gnazim.com, G-E-N-A-Z-Y-M. And I'll include the link to the auction as well in the show's um, description. Now, I'm going to, be, I, I just should have mentioned this, I'm going to be joined on this episode by Ramosha Maiman, who is the editor, author of the footnotes of the new editions of Rav Ramban Rambam. I had him on when we discussed the Agadita. And Mirza Hashem, we'll have him come back again, hopefully to discuss the Chumash that he now completed. But we'll be discussing a couple of the items here. And I'm going to mention this right away, is that if, you know, if any of the listeners do, if you do like it, you do think that such a, such an episode is interesting and you enjoyed it, you know, send me an email and say you did enjoy it or, or not, whatever. So anyways, thank you very much for joining me to discuss this. Thank you very much for having me back, Nachi. You made quite a name for yourself in this industry, and it's, a, and it's an honor to be with you. So let's start. Like I said, it's, it's something a little different. We're going to take the catalog and we'll run through some of the unique items. Obviously, there's, you know, especially with something like this, there's things that are interesting to everyone, and something that's interesting to me or to you is not interesting to someone else or vice versa, but we'll discuss some things. I said some of the really amazing, unique items. So I think something in here that is really I think I think it's the highest starting price. I think it's starting at you know and uh, like hundred fifty thousand. I'll stay. I don't want to say prices because obviously where the auction is going, where it's you know there's no way to know. But this is a chuva from the Marik, a base of Cologne Trabado, I believe, fourteen twenty to fourteen eighty. He was originally French, and he went to he was the rub in Mantua, um, in Italy. And this um, obviously is one of the most famous, most important chuvas farm that we have is chuvas Marik. Um, and I don't know if you want to say something about this chuva. It's a, a long chuva and exaviat. And it, they, what they say here is that the end of it has his, he adds a little bit and he has his signature. So it's a, just an amazing thing. And there's actually Simon Memhe and Shulchan Aruch is very busy with this chuva and it's based literally this chuva from the Rick. Now, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's built in this, uh, catalog as a chuva from a Rishain, which, uh, which is, uh, you know, Subject to some debate, how you categorize, you know, how you catalog or categorize Rishayim, but it's it's just from the perspective of one of the sources for the Shulchan Aruch that, in some people's minds, that that does qualify him as Rishayim. I mean, uh, this it, it's supremely unique, regardless of whether you call him one of the first Achreim or one of the last Rishayim, or maybe even somewhere somewhere in the middle. But uh, it's it's supremely unique, and that's actually a feature of this auction is that. There are items in here in this catalog which you don't typically see being offered for you know for sale in, in the private sector. There's a page of Gemara, 
That's from the 1200s, uh, you know, a, a handwritten manuscript Gemara of Sanhedrin, Peregrine Sagamoyer. There's a Sefer Haftaris in, in Lot 5 of uh, the Book of Haftaris, uh, Haftarot, which they would, you know, in Yemen, where they would do the Haftar with the Targum. So this, it's, it was actually printed out, you know, instead of, a, you know, uh, you had a Chumash for the Kriya Satayr, and you had this Sefer for the Haftar. So these are fascinating items, and that one is from the 14th century. Fascinating items. But getting back to the Marik, to have uh, a Xaviad, just uh, an autograph of, of, you know, we have almost no autographs from anybody in that that, that we can recognize, save for the Rishayim who lived in Cairo, where their uh, where their libraries were deposited in the Geniza. But that's, that's just, we'll talk about that in a bit. But outside, just for anything to survive, you know, from France, you know, French, from Italy, these, it just, it's so, so rare. So it's really, really an amazing, amazing chap. Yeah, that, that absolutely. So, so and I should mention, I, I, I apologize. It's lot 29. I realize I should be saying the lot numbers. So if anyone could check it out, you should check it out. Like I said, I don't, I'm going to say this again, go to the Bid Spirit or their website. And, and there's also, um, like I said, the actual catalog is really beautifully done. The descriptions, beautiful pictures, color. It's, it's just, it's really just a pleasure and a treat just to have the catalog. Like I said, if these things are something like that is, you know, way above my pay grade, but it's really just a, an amazing item. And just to see it, you get to see it in here. So, and we'll get to some other really fascinating ones. So you mentioned Rishinim. So there is lot 25 is the first edition of the Chubas Rambam. And now having you on, we couldn't uh, being the Rambam Rambam and, and uh, your descendants. So we couldn't not discuss the Rambam. So tell us <laughs> a little bit about the Chubas. If this is the first edition of the Chubas Rambam. The Chuvasa Rambam is also an amazing, amazing item. That's lot twenty-five, and uh, Chuvasa Rambam. It's not one of. It's not a safer that the Rambam wrote as a safer. You know, the Rambam wrote. He wrote the the Pir Tamis He wrote the Yad Chazakan, and of course the Merinavuchim. But because he was so famous and he had such an appeal to people from far away, so his uh, essays, you know, his and his letters, and and even some halachic Chuvas were sought out from far away and uh, they were circulated and they were translated beyond the borders of the Arabic speaking world, which is uh, you know, a rarity in and of itself. Most of the Torah that was around in the, in, in the Rambam's world was written in Arabic and a lot of it, a lot of it was lost till you know, recent generations with the Giza, we were able to piece together some of it, but a lot of it was lost. Only rare items that were just by dint of the personality behind them were so famous so those were there was a, there was there was a clamoring for them in the non-Arabic speaking world, and they were translated by the Tibbins and others, and and those, as you would imagine, are, are classics, timeless classics. The Chayvus and uh, and then you know Amunas Vidayas from Reb Sadia going was it's a very you know, and and that's also featured in this auction in lot twenty three. They have a first edition of the Amunas Vidayas again. So that those are farm that were sought beyond the borders of uh, of their composition. And uh, and they and they survived that way. And uh, anything you know, these first editions, you know, attest to their continued popularity. You know, the Rambam's uh, essays were written in his lifetime before he died in 1204, and they were printed 300 plus years later. It's because uh, there was they were circulated again and again and again, and um, and that's why they made their way into the printing press very early on. So this is a, it is quite a rare edition. This first edition. Um, and uh, if you notice, it's, it says right on it, it says it's uh, it's chuvais and igris, which is uh, you know which has always caused some 
confusion how to categorize the Rambam's literary output besides for his svarim. What are they? Are they chubis? Are they igres? And Rabbi Shilat, who published his edition of the Igres Rambam, so he had to determine what was he going to include in the Igres Rambam. Now, in this first edition, there's a little of both. Here's his his um, answers to the Chachmei Lunil, which were actually were composed in, in Hebrew because the scholars of Lunil province spoke, you know, that they didn't speak Arabic, so he wrote for them in Hebrew. And so, and they asked him questions on the Mishnah Torah, which he responded to in his famous, you know, chuvais to the Chachmei Lunil. So those are halachic chuvais, but it also contains contains some of his essays, his ma'amarim, like they're called, or those are, or some people call them igrois, and um, and it just depended on the collector. Different collections put different things together. So Rabbi Shilat had to categorize that anything to do with munais or days, but not specifically halacha. He was going to call an igrois, and other things were going to be called chuvais. So this, uh, it's, it's a small safer, it's a small selection, and it contains, uh, like, you know, it contains a little a sampling of both, of some igres and some chuves, and that's this uh, item, really a, really a rare and very, very valuable item. And also, I mean, like I said, obviously check it out, the actual pictures, but this one, like with really almost everything in this auction, <laughs> is just beautiful new binding, it's got the, the I, th- I think it's new, and beautiful, the, 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 the condition is just like, Perfect. Absolutely perfect. That's something else to uh, point out. The next item I think we should discuss is probably the most fat. Well, I'm not going to say the, there's so many in here, but one of the most amazing items in this auction, and maybe one of the most amazing things I've seen. I mean, just, just to see the pictures of this thing is just unreal. So lot 47, what they called Pincus Claudiusrol. So first of all, if you want to know what a pink is, well, it's a little different than this, but I did have a podcast with Professor Leshava Kalbach by Pink Asim. It's a little different, but um, this was a, they, uh, there was a Shadar, who I'll let, I'll let Ramesha talk a little about this, was a, a shliach of the Tveria community, who um, his name was Rabbi Solchaim Rafal Segri. This is from, this is his you know, things that he wrote down from 1807 to 1809. It's bound in a beautiful volume. And he went through, it's his trips throughout Europe. He would go collecting. That's what a Shadar was. This Avram Yari, who has a um, two-volume work, Shluch Eretz Yisrael, if you want to learn more about them, from Mosad of Cook, he actually talks about this Shliach and this uh, Xaviad. And it's really amazing. First of all, like I said, he talks about all the cities that he went through, but what's just amazing about it is there are just pages and pages of the Rabbanim, those communities they would rent, and they signed it in there. You just have, there's just, just, Obviously, the one that they are busy with in here, which is obviously Rikveger, and the Rikveger's uncle, Rikveger's brother, Rikveger's, um, I think his, I don't know if it's his son. They have the Shagazari's son in here. It's just again, it's just to see. You have to see it pages and pages. Um, just I'll I'll read a kvittel that Rikveger has in here. He wrote Ani Akiva Hanoyled Meisha Gittel. Um, I Akiva, the daughter of the Isha Gittel, Nasati Shmoina. It says Gimel. Um, test. So he has three, eight, eight gold coins. Lispal lavuri to to daven for him. Al kever a meir balanes that he should daven for him in the kever meir balanes. She chazak Hashem koyichi b'tayir v'yira. That shem shem chazakim in tayir and yira. Uliyotza takalu mitachas yadi chaz v'shalom. Nothing bad should happen. Uligadol tzetzoyi v'yiras Hashem. And that his children should should be growing v'yiras Hashem. So they and they have you can see in the catalog. I think there's more pictures online which have literally his uh, handwriting that he wrote. And another one should talk about this. He pointed out to me, it's in Rashi letters, which is interesting, written very nice and clear. So just maybe talk about this, Pincus, and maybe you want to talk also about the um, 
I think the Chida, who has his famous diary, Magal Toy, the Chida also was one of these Shluchim, and he talks about their experience. Sure. So we have to understand what this Pikas was for. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a diary like the Chida wrote of uh, all the different communities that he visited. It wasn't his impressions of various Jewish communities you know, around the world in, in 80 days. That wasn't, that wasn't his, uh, the purpose of this book. This book was very, very important for his mission. Again, so this is uh, Rabbi Yisrael Chaim Rafal, I think we said. Uh, you said Sagri, which is how it's spelled in the in the in the catalog. My hunch is that it's pronounced Sigri, because I've seen a letter that he signed when he made it to Italy in 1811, where the Chida's son was the rabbi. He signs. He says Zeshmi Zichri, and then he writes his name Sigri. So I think it rhymes with Zichri. That's my that's my hunch. So I think it's going to be Sigri. But he was uh, one of the one of the one of the great scholars in in Yerushalayim. Um, and he was picked by the sister community. I mean, there were all the communities were connected then, you know, and the, each one in Yerushalayim, which was, you know, housed the most Talmud HaKham, they would provide one of their Talmud HaKham to represent one of the communities and uh, go collecting. And, and, and uh, the, the community in Yerushalayim and Tverian and Hebron, they all lived on the bounty of people in Chutzlars supporting these communities. And how did that, how did that money make it? Eretz Yisrael was through the process of these shaluchim, shaluchah derabonin, shadar stands for shaluchah derabonin. He was the shliach of the sages to collect for this community. So they always picked a very outstanding scholar. One of the most famous shadarim, it was the chida. The chida went at a young age, and you know, probably the same exact uh, itinerary. Went through Germany, some of the communities in France, Italy, Amsterdam, and and then eventually the plan was to make it back to Eretz Yisrael. Well, although the chida decided he, you know, he, he did it, First time he went back there, so the second time around he decided to stay in Italy, and uh, that's why he passed away. Um, one of the reasons, uh, and, and the, the individual Chacham agreed to undertake these uh, journeys was because they would get to publish their Svarim. They would, uh, they, you know, if they were, if they authored Svarim, there was no publishing house in Jerusalem, but they would, in Italy and Amsterdam, or sometimes in Europe, they would publish their Svarim. Another very famous Shadar is the Maharit Al Ghazi, a contemporary of the Chida. He went, he, uh, he, he also traveled that path. And that's where the Chassam Seifer met him, and the Chassam Seifer talks about his impressions of him. So uh, it's a really, uh, it's a, it was, a, it's a hallowed institution, and typically the, the the messenger was a very, very special person. Now the problem was, this is the problem with the lack of communication back then. How does anyone know who this fellow is, and if he's actually uh, who he says he is, and not an imposter, not a fraud? And cases of fraud did happen from time to time, so they were rightly very suspicious. And this is uh, something uh, fascinating, which we learn when we read the Chida's diaries, we learn about his troubles. You know, the second time he went on his journey in the 1770s, he was already well known. And then he didn't have any trouble. But the first time he went, he was a younger man. He was somewhere around 30, give or take. And uh, in Yerushalayim, they held very highly of him. And they knew he would make a wonderful impression. But you know, he was young and the people in Europe did not know him. So he talks and he, and he documents exactly what kind of issues he had to deal with. And as he traveled through years, so uh, one of the, the arming him with the, this little pinkus was the was was kind of like a passport because this pinkus had letters of recommendation for him, and they, and he collected as many recommendations as he could in Jerusalem from a cross section of all the different communities there from their rabbanim, and with that armed with that he would go through Europe, and in the you know obviously it would be harder in the first communities where they didn't have any other. Uh, you know, ba- you know, European backing, they had to rely on comparing the signatures in his book with other 
you know, signatures, you know, of these same rabbis that they had previously been acquainted with. Uh, but sometimes it was hard. And the one, the main reason for that hardship was, and the Chida talks about this, he says, you know, he had a terrible time, you know, going through Germany the first time around because there had recently been somebody before him that was an imposter and collecting money and turns out it was a fraud and they were very, very weary. And he mentions time and time again how in this community went and they said, you look great and you're very impressive and you look legit, but we don't know. And so he'd say, well, compare my, I've got my book, compare the signatures, you know, and all these recommendations with those recommendations. So in more than once, they told him they compared it and they said, it could be, you're right. They look similar enough, but we can't make out the Sephardi writing, you know, that we're not used to that. And maybe it looks similar to us because, you know, it all looks the same. You know, we're not familiar with it. So it all looks the same, you know, like. Sometimes you think people of another nationality, oh, they all look the same, you know, because you're not used to them. So that's kind of what happened. And he does said this happened time and time again. Incidentally, who saved him? Where did he finally, the tide was turned in, in Germany was when he went to Frankfurt and he met up with the Pnei Yeshua, which is a historic meeting. And he, he describes the Pnei Yeshua in the most glowing terms. But the Pnei Yeshua, who is a sharp and critical person, as we know, he said, he checked the signatures. And he said, yes, you are legit. And once the Pnei Yeshua signed on, so the Pnei Yeshua now added his recommendation into this book. And once the Pnei Yeshua's recommendations in the book, that other Ashkenazi communities do recognize. So now the suspicion is lessened and lessened. And, and, and as he goes through more and more communities, he gains steam because each community adds their recommendation. So that's why the book is extremely important. He talks about it. You know, he describes in great poetic detail all the trials and tribulations he went through. Another very important uh, function of this Pincus was to uh, list the donations they gave and the promises and the pledges they made, this is how they uh, would know how to calculate it, add it up, and eventually make an accounting of it. And uh, as we see now in Rabbi Kiva Eger's uh, kvittel there, they would sometimes write kvittels to be brought back there to Israel to, uh, so that he would die for them, which is why Rabbi Kiva Eger writes his kvittel in, uh, in Rashi letters. He wants that the Sparty Shliach should be able to read it. He doesn't want him calling it Moshe Ben Fredel. <laughs> He wants that Akiva Ben Gittel. So he writes it in letters that he can definitely recognize. Yeah, because what's interesting is that that uh, you're I probably right, because the rest of the there's obviously the whole the rest of it is Askama, that whole thing is not written in the Rashi letters. And it's amazing to see. Obviously, Rikvegger is the famous one, but there's so many other abundant in here. I, I want to point out this 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 pink is this 466 sides. I mean, it's a massive book. And they mentioned when he got back to Amsterdam, the Shlech, someone there was paid for it and it bounded into a beautiful, it was a binding, it was bound into a book. It's huge, and it has just I have to see it in the catalog to really understand. This is a snapshot of, of Europe in 1809 to 1811. It's an, it's an amazing, amazing document. To have all the rabbis documented and it just, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal historical piece. Yeah, Avram Tikhtin is here. The Adav Rabbi Yosef, David Zinsai. I mean, just each one has their hand and they wrote in it. It's just amazing to see this. Um like I said, you have to really check it out. Again, this is like what type of things. Even if you just had the catalog, you can just see whatever in there. It's just beautiful. Maybe you can read some of the letters. They're in there. You can actually see the, the beautifully reproduced. This catalog, I said, did a beautiful job. Nice, glossy paper. You can literally read read it and check out the website as well. So that's 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 an item between that and the Marik. And then the next item we'll discuss, which is actually buried towards the end, which jumped out to me. I mean, I think to you as well, Ramesha, right? I think it just... yeah flew off the page like what is going on over here so there is a um lot i think it's 249 that is a, a broadside so for those not familiar with a broadside i'll talk more about it but it's basically a 
a uh, people today would be familiar with like a Pashka villain, but it's not it's not that it's not that, but it's it's you know it goes up on on the, on the wall sort of thing, and it was a very early um, it was printed broadside from a a psak din from the base Yosef, and this broadside is reproduced here beautifully. You can see the whole thing in the catalog, and there are there are hagoyes on the entire thing in Xaviad from from Ramesha Provincialo. Who we have now is Chuvas, printed by Machon Yushalayim. I think there were there is Ramah quotes. I think there are some in Chuvas Ramah. He was one of, one of the ma- major Paiskim um, at this time. This is in the in the 16th century, and um, he has many famous Chuvas. Like I said, Pons Machon Yushalayim. I think he has a Chuva in there by playing ball on Shabbos. They play tennis in Renaissance Italy. So he has a famous Chuva <laughs> by playing tennis on Shabbos in there. And he has many Chuvas. Um, but yeah, talk a little bit about the fact that a it's a broadside, it's a psak from base of Cairo, and then the Marisha Provincialos Hagois, it's just everything together. This has a lot to recommend it because it's just so unique in a lot, a lot of ways. First of all, the very fact you know it's what they tout here in the catalog is that it's unique because it's the very first, the earliest broadside that we surviving broadside that we have, which is uh, yeah, it is unique. Broadsides were plastered on the wall, that's where they were, and uh, they were they suffered uh, you know bad weather and, and the ravages of time, they didn't survive. Earlier in this very same auction, there's a, you know, some, it, there's a, there's a, a work that of, from the Tesis Yantiv who, who put his, uh, I think it may be about 42, but he put his, uh, you know, there was things that he had put up in shul, broadsides, you know, in halacha, and he says, because they keep getting lost, he decided to write it down. So you see that they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't last. So this one, an early broadside that did last is in itself historically very, very unique, but the content of the broadside makes it off the charts unique. And that's because, like uh, like you said, because of the comments of Ramesha Provincial. Uh, you must talk about Ramesha Provincial because he is an, just an amazing, unique figure in, in Jewish history. Uh, again, largely forgotten, unfortunately, until recently where they published his, his chuvas, which are which are fascinating. Uh, Ramesha Provincial and those chuvas makes the very, very uh, start, you know, Makes so much sense, but nobody had ever formulated it before. Uh, we know that uh, there's a Rebbe Talmud, there's a Messiah. We he says, you know what, the, you know, you know who's our Rebbe now. You know, I, I've seen people draw up charts like our Messiah. We go to the Chaim to the Gain of Vilna, and who's the Vilna Gain's Rebbe? Oh, so they'll say the Baragoyla, who's his grandfather, you know, but it's not necessarily his Rebbe. So says Rabbi Moshe Pramachali. Today we don't have Rebbe, he said, and he holds there's a lot of halachic differences today. And this is, you know, he lived right at the, the boom of the printing industry. In the early 1500s, he says, today with the printed Svarim, we have Svarim. We learn from Svarim. You have a little guidance from your Rebbe, but the, your Rebbe is now the Svarim. He makes that uh, observation, which is fascinating. Uh, he, you know, the, the printing, a lot of, a lot of his truths involve printing. Again, like the, you know, a print, uh, a printed Sefer Torah. Does it have the Kedusha of a Sefer Torah in it? That's one of his truths. And he says if they knew how to do it right, it probably would, but because they don't, he advises against it. This came up again in recent <laughs> memory with the silkscreen Torah. This this is an issue that didn't quite die. Um, another printing-related chuva is the, the printing of the Zayar. When the Zayar was printed in Italy, he was uh, consulted about it. This Kabbalah, can you print Kabbalah? And he says, well, once it's it's out there, they're written up everywhere. Everybody sees it anyway. There's no difference. You can write it, you can print it, the same thing. So uh, what is this particular broadside about? And this is also why it survived. It's a, it's a, really a, a unique twist in history is that the, at, at this time in, uh, I think it's uh, 1559 or 1558, where the Beis Yasef in Sfas sends one of his messengers, a certain rabbi, Moshe Ibn Shushan, 
he sends him to Italy, where they have printing, like we mentioned earlier, to print his uh, Beis Yosef, the famous Beis Yosef. And this Rabbi Ibn Shushan prints most of it, maybe the volume, and, and then before he finishes, I think the volume on Cheshit Mishpat, he gets into some kind of uh, altercation with the printers in Italy. These Italian printers were not necessarily Jewish. Some were and some weren't. And he gets into an altercation with them and, you know, financial thing. And this case is referred to, you know, one of the Gdolim of the time, Ramosha Provencalo in Italy. And Ramosha Paskins, he says, uh, you know, he calls Rabbi Ibn Shushan to Dintaira and Rabbi Ibn Shushan does not come. because I don't have to go to you. I'm here. I'm a messenger of the base Yosef. So he doesn't come. And Ramosha Provencalo puts him in khair. You know, in effect, giving the victory to the printers. So Rabbi Ibn Shushan doesn't rest. He writes a letter which is printed in the Beis Yosef Chuvis in Afkas Rechel. It's, uh, he writes a letter to the Beis Yosef detailing uh, the, the injustice done to him, that he was put in the and, and, you know, so Beis Yosef, together with the other Rabbonim, write a letter back to Rabbi Ibn Shushan, but it's not addressed to Rabbi Ibn Shushan. It's addressed about the episode, and it, it has some harsh words for uh, Ramesha Provencal, who at the time is called Ramesha di Rosa, probably because he comes from the same place as uh, Azari di Rossi. It's not, that might be... Uh, Probably the same. You would know better than me, Nachi. No, the Rossi is the family. It's I don't think. Uh, maybe not. Okay. I just, uh, all right. So, uh, <laughs> but that's what he's called. And it's true. He's called De Rosa, Ramesha Rosa. And, uh, and uh, this, and, and the, and it's the letter sides with, with Rabbi Ibn Shushan against Ramesha Provencal and even advises curtailing his, uh, his rights as a rabbi in Italy. And it, it advises maybe a counter harm or, or stripping him of his uh, rabbinical uh, rights. And um, and it's in, in the Tshuva edition, the one printed in Avkas Reichel, it's signed just by a few rabbis, the Beis and a few others. But what's, what's uh, very unique about this broadside is this has that whole entire Nusach that, that it's in the Tshuva, plus it has all the rabbis of Tzfas, all of them, not just three, but it has all the rabbis of Tzfas, just about everybody. Every every name is a who's who, just major, Mesha Galanti, and this one, the other one, Mesha Alshech, fantastic, you know, just uh, it's glittering with all the Gdalia Doran's Fas, and it's countersigned by the other but they did in Italy. Of the other big bezins in Italy sided against their own, against Mesha Pramasavo. So he was really uh, on his own in this one. Um, so this is, but he didn't back down, which is a characteristic of his personality. He was very, very independent. He was a fiery, outspoken Godel and very independent. He didn't back down. So apparently, the even the base Yosef censure of him was not able to strip him of his, of his, uh, of his smicha, of his, you know, his, of his, of his rabbinate. But he became embroiled time and time again. It didn't end there. Further on, there were other disputes. And uh, but at the end, he was reinstated through the efforts of uh, Rabbi Yo Ashkenazi. That's somebody uh, that you definitely have to do. A, he's a grandson of the Marik and a, quite a fascinating figure in his own right. Rabbi Elia Harifa. Real fascinating fellow. He was the one who restored the peace right at the end of Ramosha Provencal's life. About he died about the same time as the Beis Yosef. But in this tremendous twist, really, a, what a twist! You would never expect this. Ramosha Provencal at the end of his life, where after he's been reinstated, and the Beis Yosef is now up to printing his Kesef Mishnah. What do you think he does? He sends it to Ramosha Provencal to print the Kesef Mishnah. So there was no bad blood at all. So. It's just, a, it's, it's an amazing, this is this Jewish history right in front of your face here. You see this. So why did this broadside sur- survive? This broadside survived because Ramesha Pramatsala got a copy of this. Maybe he took it off the wall in, in Mantua. He peeled it off the wall and he took it home and he scribbled up the entire things with his 
you know, his own emendations. It didn't happen this way, it happened that way. This halachic point is wrong, that one is wrong. So this is, in, its, in essence, a tshuva of Rav Moshe Parmenzel. What's so unique about that? Well, it's unique in and of itself, but in the tshuvas, in the printed tshuvas of Rav Moshe Parmenzel, and they write about this in, in the introduction, to the printed edition, they say he never, ever openly responded to, 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 to the attacks against him. He alludes to it here, he alludes to it there, he makes his position known, but he never directly confronts the issues. Now we have his rebuttal right here in print. It's never been printed, and it just it is fascinating beyond the words. So again, this is lot 249 right at the end, but it's it should be front and center because it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, I don't know, but uh, again, just for this, because it's beautifully reproduced in here, it, it probably could die to get a hold of the catalog, no matter if it was <laughs> before the auction, after the auction. Again, the whole thing is amazing. Just you see the entire thing with his Haggai's here. Like you said, disputing the events. It's amazing. Yeah. He lived 1504 to 1576. Um, there were a number of, uh, he had a brother or a son, or maybe two brothers. There were, there were I think, two brothers. They were older, Abanam and Mantua. And um, uh, also he was the Rebbe of Rabbi Moscato, I believe, right. uh, as well, who, who people may know as the... Um, Yehuda, and he has the Pirish on the Kuzuri, the famous Pirish on the Kuzuri that he wrote. So again, if you're interested in the Prophet Shalom, you can get his Chuvas. Mahon Yerushalayim reissued it a few years ago again, and so you can check those out. I'm quite a fan. Again, so this, this is Lot 249, like you said, a fascinating um, thing. Something that's a little different than what we've been discussing is uh, Lot 207. I mean, I'm sure people are familiar with this, but uh, this is a full set, six-volume complete set of Siddur Sifzit Sadikim, which is the Siddur published by Isaac Leeser. He was the uh, um, was he the chazin, which meant the rav, really, at that point of the Portuguese uh, synagogue, right? Portuguese shul in um, in Philadelphia, and uh, he was he was German. He was a yeki. He was the kind congregation mikveh Israel um, in in Philadelphia. But uh, you want to talk about Isaac Leeser a little bit? Um, so much uh, we want to talk about him. Yeah, Isaac Leeser, really a uh, reverend. You know, never never came a rabbi. Never got smicha, never even learned any yeshiva as far as I know, but uh, definitely a very well-versed uh, Talmud Chacham and a very important figure in, in, the, in the history of orthodoxy and particularly in American orthodoxy. He was born in Germany right near the border of France for a time under Napoleon. I think he was part of, he lived in France. He lived under uh, Napoleon's brother. He gave him a protectorate and King, uh, got his name, Jerome, I think it was. Napoleon's brother was, you know, he lived under there. Uh, but at the age of uh, 16, he emigrated to America. And he moved in with his uncle in Richmond, Virginia, which had a small community of Ashkenazim. America at the time, the organized Jewish community, which was small but noticeable, they were largely the Spanish-Portuguese uh, refugees, you know, from the London community or the Amsterdam community. That was the, you know, the, these, these Sephardim, Originally from uh, descended from uh, Spanish Portuguese, uh, you know, people, the, you know the, the Spanish Portuguese Jews who were expelled in 1492, or some of them, in some cases, the Moranos who escaped. But these were the, the, the that was the community. They, you know, they have the Toro Synagogue, there, the, the Sheriff Israel in New York, which is a very famous one. And there's Mikveh Israel here. There were a couple of Mikveh Israels, you know, sprinkled around the South, also related to this Mikveh Israel in, in uh, Philadelphia, the organized Jewish community at this time, which was maybe 3,000, 3,500, you know. The, popu- you know, the Jewish population at the time, they were the organized face of them were definitely the Spanish Portuguese. So, um, so Isaac Leeser lives with his uncle in Richmond. The uncle and his brother-in-laws are intermarried with some prominent of the Spanish Portuguese members, you know, community members. And one of these relatives 
takes Isaac Leeser under his wing and teaches him how to daven in the Spanish-Portuguese Nusach because that was the main the main shuls then. And uh, this helped him uh, make a Parnassah. Yeah, he didn't make a great Parnassah. He always, uh, there was always some struggle there. There was always some fighting with the board. But that was his Parnassah his whole life. He, as a chazan, which went, which meant the main religious functionary, like you said, that for all intents and purposes, that was what we would call rabbi. Although Isaac Leeser is credited with bringing the uh, sermon into the synagogue, in the American synagogue. That was his innovation in his uh, when he got the job. At the very, very young age of 22, he became the chazan in the Spanish-Portuguese uh, shul in, 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 uh, in uh, Philadelphia. And, it's, and he became their spiritual guide. Uh, before he even turned 30, he undertakes this amazing, uh, just at the time, it was it was unheard of because uh, they, there was no Hebrew printing in America at the time. But he undertook to translate and publish Sidurim for his community. At the time, he says the only way they had any Sidurim was if they imported them from London, which was very hard. This is, uh, you know, after the War of 1812, uh, you know, they weren't... It, was it easy to get back and forth across the ocean? And, and he says, even the ones they had are all worn out. They didn't have, you know, Sidurim. So he undertook to, uh, to publish a set of Sidurim and Mahzayim for all year round in six volumes. He did this in record time. He did it uh, in a year and a half or so, maybe two years. And he even had to teach the printers, these Gentile printers, he had to teach them Hebrew so they would make, you know, arrange the letters right. It's printed on very high quality paper. I mean, if you see these volumes even today, they look like they were printed yesterday. Just uh, Extremely high quality. The translation is is very very accurate, and uh, and uh, it's it's interesting. The first the first major printing of Sfarim in America is is the Ashkenazi Isaac Leeser printing Sephardi uh, Sidurim for this uh, for the Spanish Portuguese community. Ten years later, at the, there were enough uh, you know Lanzlite, enough German you know he calls it the German right enough Ashkenazim who came and he prints and he and he prints a Sidur for them also you know according to the Ashkenaz Nusach. But at the time. He printed these. So this is a slice of American history. They're printed in 1837 or 1838, and they're rare, and especially uh, all six volumes together. You know, Sidurim, they get used. That's what that's Sidurim are for. They're using, you know, you go into any shul, you look at the first few pages, they're usually rubbed out because they get used very often. He made them such high quality that they survive the test of time, but even then they're rare, and a full six volumes in this kind of condition is extremely rare. So it's just uh, anyone interested in American history would have to be fascinated by this lot, 207. Right, to be clear, it's six volumes because of Siddur and the Mahzarim. Right, so six right. Volume. And anyone interested in Isaac Leeser, if we just made you interested, you could check out this very good book, Isaac Leeser and the Making of American Judaism uh, from Wayne State University Press. I'll throw in some, uh, you know, further reading material there. Um, so then there's a couple, I think we'll just run through, maybe Rashid interrupt me if you have any others and you have some other interesting uh, things to add. Obviously, like I said, again, um, gnazim.com, you can check it out or the catalog. There's a couple other really interesting. First of all, I, I what kind of top quality auction would be would it be without a Bomberg? So there's a Bomberg uh, Gemara Mesach the Megillah in here. Um, now something that's, that's lot 14, right? Lot 14. Sorry, I forget the lot number again. Then there is um, lot 16 is something very interesting. There is the Gemara Mesach the Brachas of I did a podcast with uh, Professor Pavel Macheko, and he did mention this Gemara. The Sibyanison published his own Brachas. Um, so he kind of, first of all, the, the, the controversy over this is that he censored it. It was together with the Christians. They were censoring it. There was like self-censorship going on. It was like some, I don't know the whole, again, I don't want to mess up, listen there. Or there's, there's been, I think he wrote about it as well. Um, but well, the fact that, that once I just want to let me interject, it's not actually called the Gemara Brachas. If you see the picture there on uh, it's lot 16, it says on the you know, on, on you open the safer, it says Hilchais Brachas. 
Um, Gemara was a, you know, was a tricky word then, you know, so that, they, that aroused the, you know, they couldn't print the Gemara at the time in Germany. So they had to call it Hilchas Brachas, which is also why he had to censor it, to make sure that any of the offensive uh, passages would uh, not, uh, you know, would not hold up the printing. So that's a very, very unique item. And of course, uh, Roberto Sinaipas' involvement in such a controversial and risky project did, of course, uh, uh, get a reaction out of uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, who was always very interested in, of course, in anything Roberto Sinaipas was doing, as you know. Right, he included you also, and he, I believe he included, first of all, I think he has some old solution from himself, and also he did include the Rambam, and I, I saw in this, there's a thread in Eitzchuk Forum about this Gnosim catalog, and I, I he believe he, it says there that it was the first time the Lecha Mishnah was around the Rambam, I don't know, they, they were talking about this, and he did include it in here as well. So again, something very um, unique and interesting to, to, to check out. Um, again, another item that I guess a really good catalog would, would have is the Siddur Shlaw. Everyone knows that there's a, there's a Segula that I'm from the Siddur Shlaw. So there's a Siddur Shlaw in here that is a lot of a very nice copy, lot 142. Something else a little bit uh, different, maybe we could talk about this. There's a lot 140. There is the Zmiris Yisrael of Rabbi Son Najara. This was printed in Venice in 1599. Um, the one that everybody knows is Karibain. Najara, and maybe you have something to add about uh, about. about Najara, yeah, he was one of uh, he, he was a younger man, I think, when he published this, and this is uh, and you know, he was a terrific, terrific uh, poet, and his mirrors are all you know, Karibin is a sampling of the kind of uh, you know Shiras and mirrors that he wrote in there, uh, very, very interesting, and uh, it's quite well known that the Chida says uh, you know he has an entry on Rebishol Najara, and he has on his father Moshe Najara, who was a rav in Gaza. You know, big rub with Rosmarum. So he says that the you know that uh, it's reported. He has it on, on good authority that uh, that the Arizal himself had heard some of these uh, compositions, maybe even Karib of Rabbi Shlomo Najara, and, and very much liked them. He said that they are inspired with the divine wisdom, and the Malachim come to hear them. You know, that's in, according to one version. So uh, the Arizal held very much of his poetry, um, which contrasts a little bit with uh, what we know his Talmud or Chaim Vital writes. In his uh, Sefer Hachaz in the, the latest editions, they've been censored out, but uh, you can find the early editions of Rechaimital did not have the highest uh, opinion of uh, Rabbi Shol Najara. And uh, maybe, uh, and Arizal said he loved his music, he, he meant music <laughs> specifically. <laughs> so, yeah, listen, obviously, we're not talking about anything, but uh, listen, it, it's, 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 you know, obviously very amazing spheres, even though people only know Karibine, but. There are a lot of spirits in there. It's a very big and they're faster, yes. Yeah. Faster. So another thing in here that's also really amazing, lot 240 has an ink novel. So which it means something printed prior to 1500. So in the 15th century, uh, that means it was printed, which is the first uh, beginning of print um, in Gutenberg. And this is a Mifra Pninim. Since you know in 1484, Mifra Pninim was a Shlomo and actually, about this, I think it was I think it was also sponsored by Gnosim, Rabbi David Katz, uh, just recorded a podcast about Ibn Gavirol, discussing this. If you want to learn more about him, you can check that out. I'll, I'll give him a plug over here. Um, and so this is something, you have, if you have something to add about this, you can... The Mivcha Premium has a story history because it's, uh, we know now it's Rabbi Shleim Ibn Gavirol, but for a long time they thought it was Rabbi Daya Haprini's, uh, the, the Better Seas uh, work. But uh, now it's been restored to, I mean, you, you can listen to the podcast, you'll get all the history about that. Right. A couple other ones, we'll just round up, though. So there is um, some other, like, 
polemical kind of things that may be interesting. Uh, first of all, lot 245 is Ish which is um, a polemic, Chacham Davinieto, who was the Rav in London at this time. I think he was in Livorno before he was in London. He's known, uh, listeners may know him as from the Kuzari Hasheni, Matadon is what he's known as, what he's known for, but he has a lot of other things. And this was a polemic against Nehemi Chichiyun, who um, was the uh, Sabatian, and that was the whole tumult with the Moshe Chagiz. You can read in uh, Professor Elisha Vakabach's uh, wonderful book. So this is this is very disgusting. So this was his work that he wrote against him. This is Lot 245. And then Lot 246, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you interject. I just want to interject one thing. In this uh, in this polemic where uh, Reb David Nieto, which is why Mate Dan, Dan is uh, Russian Tevis of David Nieto, uh, you know, where he goes against Chiyun, he, he in the process he defends one of Chiyun's targets, who was um, the Chacham Tzvi, Tzvi Ashkenazi, the father of the Yavitz. So he defends him in this in this work, and uh, which is uh, which is which is good payback because uh, when he was in trouble himself in London, there were some people who had problems with the drasha that he gave. So he turned to uh, the Chacham Tzvi, and the Chacham Tzvi defended him there. So they they two have a good uh, they've got a good relationship. Yeah, I think that's an, is that in Chuvas Chachmas I seem to recall. Yeah, Chuvas Chachmas Right. So then, lot two forty six, Mosabatianism. We have uh, Lucas Edis, which is the only published defense Rabbi Nachman Ivish has issued for himself. So this is called Lucas Edis, and he published a defense uh, on himself. And that so this is um, this is lot two forty six. And one of the uh, one of the one of the unique features of this safer, you know, against Rabbi Yaakov Emden published many many svarim. He only gave his one response in the safer. But what is uh, what, this? May be the first exposure that the Vilna Goyen has. This safer printed in the 1750s. It features a letter of defense of Rabbi Yehuda from the Vilna Goyen, and uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden at first uh, made light of it. He doesn't know who this is. Uhevi Lanu Narivri. I don't know. He didn't know who he is. But later in life, when he found out who he was, he couldn't mock it effect so easily. And there were, he used the he had to resort to the other other kind of uh, answers. And uh, Schneer Lyman had devoted a w- wonderful. Uh, Article to the subject, and right before it on the same page, this page of interesting stuff. Lot two forty four is the fake Yerushalmi Kachim, full set, two volumes of the scam of the uh, famous, is the infamous Yerushalmi Kachim. By uh, so uh, I don't know that that may be of interest to to people to check out as well. You know what's interesting about this? Uh, you know, it's a side a side. You know, the, the history is very interesting in itself. But one of the side the things sidebars which interests me and touches on something we spoke about earlier today is the the forger of this uh, Yushalmi Kachim, fellow named Friedlander. He goes around Europe posing as guess what? As a Sephardi rabbi. You know that because you know Haroitz Lashaker Yarchik Edov. You want to lie? Say your witnesses are far away in China now. So that's you know he's uh, he's a Sephardi that you don't. You don't understand him, and you can't have suspicions of him because the, the reason you don't understand him is because he's Sephardi. He called himself Al Ghazi, and he actually—it's uh, very fascinating thing. Chaim Zimmerman's father wrote a sefer. Back of Moshe Zimmerman, I think his name is—he wrote a sefer, and he went to this rabbi before he was exposed as a fraud. He went to this rabbi, and he, he understood him to be Rabbi Al Ghazi, and he got a—he got a, a haskama for his sefer. So reprints of this farm still carry a facsimile of this. Rabbi Friedlander Al-Ghazi, as, as he calls himself. Yeah, he signs the Sharbal here, Shlomi Yehuda Yud Alavav Dalat Hey, which I, don't know, I think that's like a European way to sign it. But okay, Samach Tess is like, which is, okay, it's funny to horse if I tell you how to look at Ramir Mazuz. I know Nemasat talks about this, what it really is. Behagoyin, Maramzatal Hasfardi, Mechun Friedlander. Everything is fake about this, but it's just amazing. So this is a two volume, it has the whole set over here um, of this uh, f- fake Kachim. 
Now, uh, by the way, we should mention, first of all, a lot of Sifri Hasidus. So there's a lot of the Hasidic stuff in here as well. There are um, many, 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 many letters. There's a lot, um, 180 and 181 uh, letters of the Chavetz Chaim. It's actually really cool. I know this is going to be it's like, like mundane, but sometimes, you know, um, etc. What's the expression? So there's a, the Chavetz Chaim here. There is a price list here. Uh, it says shame I save for save for and he has the price. He writes you the price. You know, he has the price. They have they have a thing of exactly they wrote they wrote down on here. Well, actually, they're writing aside. He, I don't know if he wrote that. It says here inside of it. So I mean, yeah, he wrote that. yeah. Yeah, you read, you can see. 40 cents a volume. Imagine, imagine you bought one of those chilek of a Mishnah with the Muga that he wrote for 40 cents. <laughs> yeah, here you have exactly, it's just amazing that he really wrote, you know, he wasn't just writing, he was actually literally writing the prices, you know, like you said, right. always the Muga stuff, but here you see his price list. And then there's a, there's, a, there's, there's, there's letters in here as well, which is amazing. There's other letters, there's many other letters from other G'daylam all, all over in here. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out is lot 154 is, is very interesting. First of all, it's, it's Mephelos of the Kim of Dabar Benel, which is about the Yesh Me'ad, Rabbi Yisraelim. And the signature on this, who was owned by Rabbi Tzadik of Lublin, and who has a, a, a cool signature, so check it out, Lot 154. And uh, Tzadik is, uh, you know, Rabbi Tzadik is known for his, uh, for his Machshavah and as a Hasidic Rebbe, but Rabbi Tzadik has another side to him where he was just a great, great scholar as well. And Rabbi Lieberman talks about what kind of critical, he says he was unique among the Rabbanim of his generation, that he had such a good critical sense. He was a huge bibliophile as well. He had this, uh, you know, it says here in the catalog, he had this library of 5,000 volumes, which was destroyed in the Holocaust, mostly. And this uh, book is one of those remnants. But you see he had an interest in a very, very broad range of uh, subjects, including this, uh, which, you know, it's a unique safer in and of itself. It's a shin, you know, it's a first print, a very unique safer. So it, it, that was part of Rip Sadiq's library. Very many fascinating uh, other, you know, Hasidic things here. They have uh, the Mithla Rebbe's, uh, you know, handwritten. Somebody uh, wrote down his shmuz in there. It's a beautifully bound copy of, uh, you know, an original, original uh, of, of his shmuz. Fascinating things in this throughout this, throughout this catalog. Yeah, there, there's uh, there's 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 stuff from Chaim Vital. They have uh, they have stuff to, in the in the Xaviad from Chaim Vital. They have a lot eighty five. There's Rabbi Yisrael Pinto from the Pinto famous Pinto family. Lot eighty six. There's there's a uh, um, so this is just I mean the, the, again I'm not gonna we're not gonna go here on the whole catalog. We'll just be going and going. But everyone should like I said check check out the catalog. Um, there's something else I, I just skipped. Actually, there's a uh, lot one sixty five. There's a uh, manuscript of the of the Imre Emes's library. They go through the library, which is something that Avat uh, Shalom, they had Kilo uh, Yisrael, that old Ram, they published a whole book about this. But the whole Ram was a massive bibliophile. I think they arranged in there, we're talking about the fake Yerushalmi, that he was one of the ones who chapped because he was such an expert in there. Right away, he said this paper's fake. Like he said, he said he, he, he chapped something that was up over there. And there's just as many more rare Sfarim here um, as well. Letters and Sfarim, it's just amazing. So, um, like I said, first of all, again, this episode was sponsored by Gnosm, so we thank them again. I thank them for sponsoring it. And and um, this is the auction will be taking place on July 28th, 2021. I don't know when anyone will listen to this, but um, the catalog can be purchased for now in stores. And then afterwards, like I said, the catalog itself is just amazing. If you want to check out the catalog, you can uh, um, email them. I'll put their email address in the show's notes and check them out at gnosm.com. Again, G-E-N-A-A. Z-Y-M. And uh, thank you very much, Ramesh, for joining me to discuss this. No, it's been a great pleasure. And uh, this is a stuff we love. And this day, you know, whether, you know, even after the auction, this beautiful catalog lives on. You get to see this is, uh, this is, this is history and you get the, you know, 
it's a pretty uh, good price for a little book of uh, history. Great pictures and beautifully produced. So it's been fun doing this, and I hope you have fun, uh, all, the, all the listeners. I hope they have enjoyed listening to us. It's been a great night. Thank you very much. Thank you.